0: The first podcast of 2020 is brought to you by Laura Lee Smith. If you are in the market to buy or sell a home in 2020 in the Bryan, College Station, Texas, or surrounding areas, look no further than Laura Lee. She is a real estate agent that is trustworthy, hardworking, and just an overall great human being. And don't take my word for it and see why my family and I trusted her with such a big investment in purchasing our first home Give her a call or text her and see what she has to say. If you don't like it, you can move on to another agent, but I guarantee you that she will take care of everything you need and you'll love what you have to hear in just one conversation with Laura Lee Smith. So her number is 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. Don't forget also to go to C5 Mobile RV Repair. My friend Danny stepped out, started his own business, he took the chance, and it's going great. And I just want to see him succeed in every single way. So if you go to his Facebook page, C5 Mobile RV Repair, like it, comment on it, and let him know that the podcast sent you, that would mean a great deal to me and to Danny. And if you have a vacation on wheels and it breaks down at any point in time, he comes to you. And he fixes the issue and gets you back enjoying life as it should be. So head on over there. Let Danny know that uh, you heard about him from the podcast. Also, if you would like to support the podcast monetarily, you can head on over to 95adventures.com or send somebody over there who loves coffee and buy any of the wonderful blends that we have up there. The Sugar Shane cookie has been selling like crazy. So I really appreciate everybody who's bought that. Um... And we deliver all the good stuff. If you want to support it, please do so. And we really appreciate that. And if you want to support the podcast in the most important way, that is free of charge, as always, that is like, rate, and review the podcast. And then take a screenshot, send sound bites out, whatever it is on social media, tag us in it, and let everybody know the episodes that you love, such as this one with a guest, Siobhan Harvey. She is just an overall crazy positive human being, does so many cool things, and is so very smart when it comes to health, mental fitness, the reasons behind things. I just had a fantastic conversation with you and just really enjoyed this very first podcast of 2020. I can't think of a better way to start it out than with Siobhan Harvey. So please, everybody enjoy this wonderful conversation. And now we're recording. That easy.
1: Awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So a health professor at AM, we were talking and I said, You gotta share this on the podcast. I'm just gonna hear it right now. Of what I guess what do you teach at AM?
1: So I teach um, a couple of topics. One that's called Introduction to the Discipline, which actually help undergraduate students to figure out how people behave the way they do behave using theories to explain it, and um, what type of programs they can develop. Then I teach a graduate level called health behavior theories, and we look at some major health theories that actually kind of grapple with um, how do you get people to change their behavior, which that's always hard to do, um, and using those theories to kind of create programs. And then the last class I teach is rule. But aging, um, because that's what I'm passionate about. Um, I look at the psychology of aging um, and the different aging populations, right? And the populations we really don't talk about, like aging in the prison system, um, LGBTQ, and as they go through their aging process, um, people who have intellectual challenges, like Down syndrome and how they are aging into society and what does that mean for um, the caregivers, right? Because they will eventually die, who will take care of them Um, and end of life.
0: So you go through like the caregiver of that person as well, like their lifespan, the caregivers of the...
1: Uh, So I talk about from a much more um, social perspective of... What does it mean if your child has Down syndrome at the age of 50 and then you are maybe 80? What would that look like? And how different services can support or hinder those type of relationship? And what does it look like for someone who have Down syndrome at the age of 60 and have no relative to take care of them? What does that social what do those social services look like or com- community neighbors yeah um, so there's different ways of looking at aging for individuals who, who have special needs I think it's important because now we have a lot of kids um, being diagnosed with autism
0: yeah or at least on the spectrum like with Asperger's and all that.
1: And what does that mean when they get 50 and 60 years old and their parents are no longer alive to be their primary caregiver? Who's going to provide that support for them? So I, when I look at aging, I do talk about traditional aging, getting older, having chronic disease. But I also like to think about what I call the hitting population or the population we have yet to consider um, what does that mean for those individuals as they go through the aging process?
0: How long does it take to study? I mean, that's got to take a while because it's pretty in-depth. Like, you've <laughs> covered a lot of different things, and which I dig. Like, I like it better when they... I don't like studies that where you can go like, well, what did that, what did that entail? Like, when they throw out a study about health and something gives you cancer, but they didn't take into account uh, if the person ate all the fast food, if they smoked or drank or what their, you know, exercise level was, what their lifestyle was, they don't take into account that. They just say, this one item, like eating X will give you cancer, has a higher rate of giving you cancer, but they didn't take any of those other numbers into effect. And I'm just using that as an example, but like you've already pointed out, uh, I mean, a bunch of different things that you've covered. Yeah. To find out the reason why. So how long does that process take?
1: So those types of studies, um, they, they kind of do exist in our society. Um, there's a couple of well-known studies like the Framingham Heart Study or the Nursing Health Study. Um, and those studies started in the 70s and 80s. And so... When they do talk about the things that cause cancer among individuals, sometimes they re- they refer to those studies because they they followed these individuals for like ten, fifteen, twenty years. Yeah. Um, for me, when I think about the the aging population, especially um, what I call a special population within that aging category. There's not that many studies out there as it relates to those individuals um, because they, I, I don't think we gotten to the point that we are thinking about those issues with, with um, um, especially intellectual challenge individuals. Um, when you look at how do people age in the prison system, there have been a couple of studies, not a lot. Um, and those studies are not long term it's really relatively maybe a couple of years um, but they do find out that individuals who are in the prison system as they've gone through the aging process they age much the, the aging process is accelerated so what you expect for a 65 year old person in the general population as far as chronic disease um, and and like health issues, you're going to get that um, with prisoners who are 50 years old. So 10, about 10 years? So it's a 15-year acceleration. 15-year gap. 15-year uh, gap. The other challenge that's happening is that you have people who are lifers, and lifers mean for life. And um, there's uh, these uh, individuals who are in the prison system... Are having chronic diseases, um, cancer diagnosis, amputation. And because they're lifers and they have illnesses that will not allow them to be able to function normally, um, they are creating like geriatric prisons. And so there's about three of those nationally.
0: Um, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. They're creating geriatric prison. So, do you get moved there, I guess, when you're. I think so. A so age?
1: I don't. I think. So, there's one prison in Arkansas that is a geriatric prison. And so, they have the individuals who do have um, disabilities, wheelchair bound, um, Alzheimer's, and dementia. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't even think about that in prison. Yeah. So. Like,
0: that's a different issue altogether because my. So my mom is, a uh, I mean, she's been an RN forever, um, and she used to do a lot of stuff in the emergency rooms. Her and my grandpa both went together; like they were nurses, and they went to emergency rooms and whatnot. And then later on, she started doing stuff in nursing homes, and she loved taking care of the elderly. Like she just, she had a really good time. But that's where, as a kid, I get to see a lot of you know people with dementia and Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. and that's a crazy. That, I mean. It's a crazy thing for the person to go through, but it really affects what it looks like more the people outside of them, because they don't have a clue. Yeah,
1: it really impacts the family. Um, So in my family, I can count, oh my gosh, maybe two or three relatives, three relatives that have some form of dementia. Um, the challenge with Alzheimer's, you really can't diagnose Alzheimer's until after death, and that's you have to do a brain biopsy. And so, um, even though people are diagnosed with Alzheimer's, um, there's really no definitive diagnosis until they die and they get the brain biopsy. But they do have dementia. Um, for one family member who had dementia, God bless his soul, um, he had eight girls. And so, he oh. literally stayed in his own home um, until he died from um, secondary stroke issues. Um, our aunt, who also had dementia, she stayed in her home, but she had home health aid, yeah. um, which is totally different, and, um, but really needed. Um, but her care was a little bit more challenging because she had multiple people coming into her home, um, even though there were people that uh, was in her community. But on the days that she wasn't lucid, she wouldn't remember who they were, and then she would become combative. So those yeah. are kind of the challenges with individuals who have dementia. But the, cha- the, the, the struggle is really with the family members. Um, accepting that that individual is behaving in a way because of their disease, not because they are being difficult. Yeah. Right. And so, um, I had to talk to multiple of my relatives to say, no, maybe she's being this way because of the disease, not because this is her personality. Um and you know, they would say, No, that she's being demeaned that way because she just wanna be that's who she is. And so it's that's that's some of the the challenges. Or another relative of mine, um, who mother was diagnosed with dementia, um, stopped seeing her because he looked so much like his father. Um, when, you know, he was his father age that his mother thought that was her husband and basically would come on to him in a sexual way. <laughs> and it made him very uncomfortable. It was so It is it was, tough. That's a, was, tough, one to that's do a tough one to deal with that's a tough one to deal with. And I always wondered why did he stop seeing his mother because I, I was clueless about that until after her death and they was talking about it and um and they were say because she would just she she became Sexual to her own son, because she forgot she had a son, she saw this guy as her husband, yeah, and it just it, I think to some extent it made him very sad that she didn't remember that this is my child,
0: I'm sure you like yeah, it's like seeing your relative go, but in a really slow you're seeing their mind go, you're not seeing like you're losing them even though they're still alive yeah and and they're and they're like. They're there. They can breathe. You can talk to them. You can see them, and they're your parent. You know, you've got this close tie to them, but then they're they're not them. Yeah, like it's not them in that shell anymore.
1: Yeah, this is really sad. It's even harder when you start to see symptoms and you don't want to acknowledge them until it becomes really obvious. That was
0: kind of my grand. My grandpa had Parkinson's, uh, and when he got it, I mean, he was. Always a guy that could do everything himself. Like you know, he built everything himself. He worked super hard. He was an awesome guy. Um, you know, he starts to shake, and even him being an RN and knowing that he has the signs, he just like, I'm gonna power through it. You yeah. know, like he does everything else. And then eventually got to where, you know, he he held it off for a long time, but like, it, you know, it catches up to you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just it difficult.
1: I feel. I feel. And number one, because I work in that aging world, I'm much more sensitive to, to the I guess struggles of losing your autonomy, or uh, even the struggle of saying like, "Look, man, I, I, I didn't. I'm the one who got diagnosed, so I'm the one who is diagnosed um, with this disease, and I don't want to." Acknowledge it. So if I forget about it and pretend it doesn't exist, <laughs> maybe it go away. Um, and you know, I it's it's a it's a struggle to be able to. How do you wrap your head around that? Right, that 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 can potentially um, be you. At does some your behavior
0: point. does your behavior based thing tie into that? Because I I I would think that human behaviors. If you can learn how to change and accept things with your behavior before, you know, before that time, like if you can master some and and change your behavior, like bad habits, so on and so forth. If you master that skill, then I would think that's a little easier to accept.
1: Yeah, so I'm so I will say that my eating, I'm much more active than 95 percent of my family I'm much more conscious about what I eat than 95% of my family. And a lot of it is because um, I see um, how they struggle with their own chronic disease, right? Or trying to change their behavior Um, and the, the struggles of not being where they want to be. So my family, in a lot of sense, does dictate what I do now. Um, because I know at some point, not being fatalistic, but I know that within my DNA, my genetic DNA, I have a high risk for diabetes, hypertension, stroke, cancer. I mean, it's almost like rapid in my family. Um, I don't think so much about dementia. I think, uh, I don't see myself being diagnosed with dementia, but you know, I'm one of those like. I want to live to be a hundred type, <laughs> type of person on my own, yeah. doing my own thing. Yeah. Um, but because of the, the multiple chronic diseases in my family, I literally stop eating 90% of the way my family eats. Now, when I go to see them over the holidays or when I go to see them where they live in, in their states, um, I will indulge, but I do so knowing that I'm only here for a week, which is one week out of the 52 weeks we have in the year. <laughs> and when I go back, I will go back to my, my normal eating habits. Um, I'm not a big takeout, eat out type of person. I cook m- m- 80% of my food, 90% of my food um, because of health. Right, Um, And understanding that. I'm also much aware of how stress impacts your behavior, whether you eat the wrong thing or whether you indulge too much in drinks, whether it's alcohol or soda. Um, And so I try to figure out ways to decompress myself so that I don't turn towards like fatty foods or sweet foods or those things that can actually be a stumbling block for my health.
0: Is it tough? I mean, I've seen a lot of try to like help people that have asked for help with like weight loss or getting healthier, or so on and so forth. And I'm by no means an expert at all. I'm just really into it. you mm-hmm. know. And um, I see that the, the people that some of their struggles are because they have no support. They're close, their family lives all in the same area, and they all do this, and they they come from a place of like, I don't necessarily think that it's a place, and maybe you can probably answer this way better than me, but it almost seems like they don't want them to get better to have a reflection of what they could be, and they could do.
1: I, I think it's a little bit of that, um, so I have a relative that's moving with me, and um, I when I was living by myself, I was much more strict in my eating habits. And um, since my relative moved in, I got a little bit lax. And, you know, <laughs> um, and so I think to some, I think it's, um you know, with food, there's always some emotional connection. Um, and there's also, I don't think it's um, meant to be, really focus on sabotaging the person who wants to make those change. But there's also those subliminal messaging of why are you doing something that's out of our norm, right? Our family norm, our social norm. And it can be hard if the person who try to make those changes don't have an additional support. Um, because if you are eating healthy, um, trying to have baked food and then you look across the table and everybody else is eating fried food. (laughs) You can only do that for so long before you succumb to it. Um, and I think, um, the only way you can actually be able to make those changes to really have like honest conversations with your family to say that this is not about you. It's really about me. Um, and I need to eat this way, and I need you to support me in, in wanting to eat this way. Um, and then if your family members say, sure, we will support you, you have to say, well, this is the this is the type of support I need. I need for you, bless your heart, you do not have to bring me an extra slice of pie when you come home. <laughs> you can keep it at the grocery store. <laughs> Um, but I know you doing that because you know I like this. But if you want to support me, wait until I ask you. Or wait until I say, okay, now it's time to do it. Those type of honest conversation. I, I think when people do go on a diet and they go on a diet around family, they don't talk about the importance of why they want to do it and how their family can help them change. And how changing is not an indicator of, a deficiency within that family member um i have had friends and family members say oh you eat healthy now right and <laughs> technically that yeah. may be a compliment but i think there's some underlying issues going on yeah and i say i eat healthy all the time but i do indulge but i i make let me make the decision when i want to indulge don't try to kind of you know um Force you
0: to indulge. Force, them. Yeah, yeah, uh,
1: and I think when you don't have those conversations, that's when people try and then they give up um, because they get frustrated um, because they don't talk to their family about what why it's important for them to do it. It could be that the doctor say, "Hey, you need to lose this weight, or you're going to become a pre diabetic." I mean, that you know, that's that, that's some heavy stuff. That's
0: kind of a crazy. And that's something that I I don't quite understand, be, and because I'm not that way, mm-hmm. so I can't fully understand it. I I empathize with it because everybody has their different vices and addictions. Yes, um, but um, and so I know that, and I know I do. I know like ha- this sort of thing. But I love the challenge of discipline. So if I pick something, I I like the challenge is more fun than the actual partaking in the thing. Yeah. So that I mean that's for me. That could be my addiction, you yeah. know. Is that feeling of that that discipline side? Um, I don't understand when somebody's threatened with something like life-altering, you know, that affects them where they could die earlier, and they get wind of it soon. Like,
1: and they don't. Why? Change. Why
0: don't you change? Like, I, I talked to. There's a friend of ours is a doctor, and I asked him one time what the most surgeries he did, and it's amputation of diabetic legs. And I'm like. And arms and stuff. And I'm like, that's crazy. He goes, yeah. And he goes, I will actually tell them because he's, you know, he's on the health side. He's like, you, this is fully avoidable. Yes. You will not have to do this down the line if you just cut back on this and that. Don't eat the sugar. Don't partake in this. But I mean, people who are diabetic go out and drink like fishes. They, mm-hmm. you know, they, they eat the pie. They eat the stuff. And it, it, it blows my mind because I mean, I'm sitting there going, if you told me that I was going to be pre-diabetic and never to eat ice cream or pie again, I wouldn't eat it again. Like, I would be like, no, yeah. I don't want that disease. I don't want to ha- be a part of that. Yeah, you
1: sound like my father. <laughs> oh, no. he, he's that way. Oh, make him so- <laughs> my father is exactly that way. The doctor said uh, he was diagnosed, um, gosh, I guess in his 50 with hypertension and told him what he needs to stop doing, and, you know, doggone it, he just stopped doing it. And That's tough
0: when you're that old to do that.
1: And, 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 you know, and I was talking to my uncle about it, and he said, your father have a strong constitution. I was like, yeah, it's more than a strong constitution. It's something else. Um, it's not definitely, not in my genetic code, but I think when, um, and, and this is conversations that I had a lot of time with people, and I think, to some extent, um, and, and I used to think that way, too. Um, I, I think to some extent, we have to kind of understand why they are not changing. So it can be a lot of reasons that is not seen to the naked eye, right? And so when you look at um, emotional stress, uh, are they in a, are they in a bad relationship with someone? um, that is constantly putting them down, um, make them think that they're useless, um, that they actually believe it. And so they don't take care of themselves because they listening to the lie. Um, and if a person is like that, and if a doctor is like saying, hey, if you don't change your lifestyle, um, then you may, um, you know, get diagnosed with diabetes and complications. They're already hopeless, and if they're hopeless, it's not going to really make any change. There's a lot of undiagnosed um, alcoholism that may be related to undiagnosed mental health issues. So a lot of people probably would you may think are alcoholics. But they may be self-medicating because they rather be known as an alcoholic than someone who may be bipolar or manic. And so I think those are the things that we need to kind of consider when we talk to people is trying to figure out why do they why are you doing what you're doing. Um, I had a conversation with a friend. Definitely know that um, the person definitely know that they needed to change their behavior. And it took everything for me not to nag and say, you know, you need to be eating, you need to exercise, you need to lose weight, you need to do this.
0: It's <laughs> overload, though. And
1: so it was, a, it was overload. So it took me, like, everything to keep my mouth shut. And I have learned to keep my mouth shut for a lot of different things. Um, and then out of the blue, regular conversation, um, and part of the conversation would say, when I'm stressed, then I... I drink soda all the time. I said, like, "Okay, now I now I understand." So, um, when the person wasn't stressed, they wasn't drinking cans and cans of soda. They're not drawn to that. No, and so the next time I saw the person was months later, and I saw, I saw that person was drinking soda again. I said, like, "Okay, so what's stressing you out, right?" Now we can have a true conversation and it was able to share what was going on in that person's life. But if I nag, I would never have known that the drinking soda was an outside kind of indicator of what was going on inside. And I think for a lot of people in healthcare, and sometimes I have to check myself too, is that I need to instead of saying you need to do X, y, and Z, I need to find out why are you doing X, Y, and Z when you, when you actually know what the outcome is going to be. If you can help the person identify why they're doing it, then you can really help them make those changes. And those changes doesn't have to be big. They just have to be consistent. Um, uh, I
0: think that's like the most important thing right there. The changes don't have to be big. They're just consistent. Like yeah. Everybody who wants to jump off and start changing themselves in a better way, no matter what it is, even myself, if I take too big of a chunk, I'm not going to complete it. Yeah. Because I've taken, I've skipped steps one, two, three, and gone straight to five. Yeah. You know, and, and you can't, it's just like anything that you do, there's a reason those steps are there. So you learn it and you know it and then fully understand it. But if you skip it, you're gone. So the little changes and build on that, like a snowball rolling downhill and just building, getting bigger and bigger and bigger in a good way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I go to CrossFit, as you know, and I am not ashamed of either using the PCV pipe, which have no weight, or <laughs> the smallest weight, which is 25 pounds with no bars on it, because I am, I'm not trying to show people I can lift heavy weights. What I'm trying to do is learn a technique, learn it correctly, so that when I get to the heavy weights, I can... I can do it and I can do it correctly without injuring myself. So I will and, you know, Kim have like noticed that I'll be like, let me just let me go to the basics. Let me let me be well in the basics so that I can actually get confident in actually doing something much more challenging. And I think um, if individuals just focus on what are what are some basics that I can do? I'm not a good water drinker. I'm gonna be honest. I mean, I—that is always gonna be my New Year's resolution: is to drink more water. And so, when I'm really good at it, it's because I'm sticking to what I was basic to me. What's the other thing that you drink other than water? Coffee. Oh,
0: Yes, yes. It's That's not it. bad then. It's, it's fine. Not, it's no. made of water. It's perfect.
1: No, not when you have five cups of coffee. It's not <laughs> right good. With so. You so um, I know I'm not a big soda drinker. I used to be, but it took me years not to. Now, I do drink soda and I drink it during the holidays. And if I do drink soda, it's usually ginger ale, right? So that's the extent of my soda drinking It's yeah. ginger ale. But it took me years to become a non-soda drinker. And so I went from adding juice to my water to adding water enhancers to sometimes drinking sparkling water to adding lemon to my juice i mean to my water so i do all types i switch it up sometime i drink a specific type of water so because it tastes better than another brand which that's all subliminal really
0: but and i think i just had this conversation on the last podcast like whether it's placebo or not if it works it works right yeah so you're whatever it is i mean you may know it's placebo, but
1: it's get me. You to still do. believe in it, yeah. And your
0: mind is such a powerful thing that it that it gets. You know, you're different. You can see the bottle of water if it's a bottle, and it you know it tastes a little different. But in your mind, it makes it already easier it's to drink. drink. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I know for me, and because I teach in the beginning of the semester, I would drink mainly water. But there's gonna be a sweet spot when I'm like starting to get stressed and my water intake goes down and then my coffee intake goes
0: caffeine. up caffeine that's a so, crazy drug
1: so that's my addictive drug is caffeine and then chocolate and then chips so you know so it's, it goes so if I start drinking more coffee then I want more chocolate in my life and then I want more chips in my life so I know those like indicators of when I'm going down this downward spiral, Sometimes I just go with it because I don't have the mental energy to fight knowing that at some point I am going to stop and then go back up on my trajectory. And sometimes I do have the mental energy to, to, to stop it and then I do stop it and I turn the other way. I think for me, um, and this I think really is in this weight loss industry, um, it's, everything is in the cycle, right? Um, I, can, I can be on a good cycle or I can be on a where I'm going up in my trajectory eating healthy exercising all the good stuff that I need to do and I can be on a downward cycle where um not working out the way I need to not eating the way I need to not drinking water the way I need to but when I'm going through those downward cycle I know that if I have a loss in my family if my friend died unexpectedly if a friend who I care about has gone through some hard times. Um, so those downward trends, because I just don't want to be healthy, is, mean, is because I'm dealing with something else that's taking a higher precedence than eating, exercising, drinking water. And I'm okay with that, right? Because I think that's just life. You right? recognize
0: it, though. I, yeah, and I and think it...
1: that's the key. You have to recognize it, and some yeah. people don't.
0: And not everybody teaches it like you. So you have like a little bit of an advantage to be able to see the cause and effect of everything. Like researching the stress thing and what, what you said really – I mean that's exactly what I struggle with is trying to figure out why these – like because the family members aren't supportive or why because – like why when they get these diagnoses, why don't they change? Like because – and I can't because I'm not in their shoes – Understand that mindset, but you really helped out with like clarifying, you know, just like seeing your friend walking with a soda. You figured out every time they were stressed, they drink a soda. So when you saw him drinking a soda, you asked, "What are you stressed about?" Yeah. So now you're getting to step one of the problem, and kind of making it easier to deal with instead of less. Uh, like I don't know, if shame's not the right word for some reason. It's leaving me, but it's like embarrassed or whatever. Of they're embarrassed to just talk about maybe what they're stressed, or maybe they don't realize like they're stressed. I don't show it. I carry it and don't really. I'm like I don't really feel stressed. Yeah, like it's no big deal. But you deal with it for long enough, your your mechanisms in your body like take over and you just go. Yeah, and then you realize like it hits a breaking point somewhere. Like oh, but you you being able to recognize that like I know I'm on a downward spiral. I know it, and I'm gonna pull myself back out of it. Like you recognize it. A lot of people. Don't know how to turn that ship around. I don't think. Yeah, they like just staying in that comfort area.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, and I think that's important for people to um, do a lot of reflection. So, I am a big Jada Pickett Smith type of a girl. I mean, I talk about the red table talk all the time, <laughs> and and I and the one reason why I really love that that podcast or that who TV cancel yahoo or facebook whatever it's because she kind of recognized that people need to have space which they feel safe to talk about things that are really hard to talk about and i think in our society we are so focused on how we need to get to the next level whatever that level is that we don't give ourselves the space to say i need help to get to the next level are, or I'm afraid what will become of me when I get to the next level, right? We don't talk about those things. We just focus on what is the outcome, but not the emotions associated with some of these outcomes. If you do lose weight, what does that mean for you and your family or your friends, right? Because you're not going to eat the same things that they eat. And so if you do go out with them, go clubbing, you're not going to drink five tequila shots. You may do one, but you're not gonna do five. So how does that shift that relationship, right? You're not gonna actually have the whole pizza. You may have a slice of pizza with some salad. How does that shift that relationship? And I don't think people understand that there's a shift when we make these changes. Um, sometimes it may be for the better, but sometimes you may need to not be around them as much. And if you do that, how does that shift that relationship? Because now instead of hanging out every weekend, you're just probably hanging out once a month because you are using your other weekends to do stuff that's much more healthier for you. And that's a shift in the relationship. So I think people are sometimes maybe afraid of how their behavior may actually shift that relationship. And it is going to shift. It's just if you change, something is going to, your relationship with the person is going to change in some form or fashion. Um, either they will jump on board and change with you, or they will be like, no, I'm not ready to make that change. Um, but I don't feel comfortable being around you while you making these healthier change. <laughs> and so, I mean, we may not have to hang out as much as we used to. Um, and so, I think those are some... Underlying things that happen when you think about behavior change, you can't be a smoker and hang around with people who smoke. No. It, that because oh, two things going to happen: you're going to start smoking again, or you're going to have to stop being preachy, and then that will make the relationship horrible. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. for can, everybody involved, yeah. it's just not good.
0: And that's what I said that too because you know you know people recovering from things. I know you know a guy that spent some time. Uh, in the in the prison system or whatever, you know, and he's, I, I watch him and from, from outside, people will look at him and go like, why does he do this? And why does he act this way? But the guy's wholeheartedly staying away from the things that take him back into mm-hmm. it. And then I've seen another person go from the same exact background, doesn't leave that, the, that area and ends up going back. Mm-hmm. And you go like... You see what happened. This guy stayed out. I mean, a meth addict can't be around somebody making meth. No, they it's just, can't. You can't do that. Just like the cigarettes, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're an alcoholic, you can't be... be around
1: people who drink.
0: All the time, yeah. you can't have, That can't be your close, vulnerable friends. No,
1: no. And I think it's the same way with food, right? If you are trying to eat healthy, you cannot hang out your friends who go out to eat for every meal. You just can't do it. Because what you're going to do, bring your lunch with you after they sit down and have have their french fries. You're going to pull out your salad. You can do that every now and again, and I'm not saying you can't, but you can't do it all the time. And so so something's going to have to shift. Either you're going to have to not buy it, you know, let that bag of leathers go spoiled or not buy it because it's a waste of money to do it and join them with the french fries. Or you're going to have to say... You know what? I will have lunch with you on payday. Last first Friday of the week, we will have lunch. I will have fries. But the other 15, 19 days, working days, I'm going to sit at my desk. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to have my salad. That's that's fine. right? But you have to be willing to make those, those, count those costs.
0: Yeah, and then understand that like those people are not going to always be with you. No. But that's part of changing the behavior, though. Yeah. Like, you know, and if uh, I think it was probably my dad when I was younger. I mean, I'm really thankful for the way I was raised because there's a lot of life lessons between my grandpa and my dad and, mm-hmm. you know, like, the people I spent my time around as a kid uh, that I, like, respected that, you know, they'd say lessons like, sometimes you don't, you don't end things. You just like you go different ways in life and that friendship was there for a certain time period. And then it's gone. Mm -hmm. Like that's just life. Like you grow, you move on, you go to different things, you know, just like you have friends when you're single and then you get married. It changes things because now you have that person and your focus is with them and you have to consider their thoughts and their feelings and where they want to go. And you be like, you love them. So you want to go do that. Mm -hmm. Like that's part of who you are now. And, uh, the relationship with healthy stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you're eating fried foods, you're eating this stuff, you're not working out. You start working out. Well, now your friends are going to be where you're, where you're hanging out. Mm-hmm. And then the other friends that don't want to come join, you spend less time with them. And mm-hmm. eventually if either they go the same place or you go, you just naturally without saying, I'm cutting this off. You just naturally go different ways. Like, man, I haven't hung out with that guy in a long time. Yeah, I wonder why that is, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: and you know it's funny because there's a, a a researcher. His last name is Fowler, um, and they was looking at social networks and they was looking at um, um, relationships to connecting, and um, which was about maybe ten years ago. They did like um, a, a talk about um, is obesity co- contagious. What they was trying to say, catchy phrase as it is. But what they really was trying to say is <laughs> I that you could have seen you say that though. Um, like minded people hang out. If you are if there's someone you esteem, which tends it tends not to be really your spouse, but it's really it's like someone who you consider to be your best friend and they consider you to be your bestie you're going to do the same behavior, right? Um, but that also, there's a flip side to that, is that if you're extremely healthy and your bestie is healthy, you're going to do the same behavior. So it really is your social relationship that kind of dictates to some extent some of your behavior. So that's why you see drug users, who are they hanging out with? Other drug users. Or smokers, who are they hanging out with? Other smokers. You won't see someone, really, a, a true smoker, really hang best friend as a non-smoker, because what's going to happen? Okay, I, I can't be no. I You know, if if you my best friend, I'm gonna tell you. Okay, you go smoke and come back to me, because I can't be hanging out talking to you while you're smoking this cigarette. Um, so that's why it really is about. The people you hang out with that really kind of impacts your behavior. Because you you are going to be like-minded in the things that you do. And when you are not like-minded, um, that's when you bring in the tension and, and and the frustration. And the stress. And the stress. <laughs> and in the stress, you drink a soda. And then the stress, you drink a soda. <laughs> or in my <laughs> case, I have a bag of chips. <laughs>
0: and coffee. And, and coffee.
1: And coffee. And chocolate. And so
0: that's uh, so how do you, how do you impo- you yourself how do you rec- you recognize the stress that's the first thing and then what are your little steps that you do to decompress in the that knows you you know you're gonna get to the proper area like you know what a healthy decompression is versus the opposite yeah and so like you struggle with it. Everybody struggles with a stress somewhere like that. Recognize it is one thing, but then the action to take to push yourself towards that healthy direction.
1: Yeah, so for me, what first when I start to go off rail, that's my indicator of something's going on with me. Now, I may not know exactly what that something is. That's when I have to do a lot of reflection to figure out, okay, so why are you not sticking to your your program because i don't even call it a diet anymore i just call it a program i relatively eat similar things throughout the week so i then i have to figure out what has caused me to go off my program it could be work related it could be family related it could so i have to go through this list um, and so that's the reflective piece that I have to do sometimes sometimes I don't want to sometimes I was like you know what I just don't have the energy <laughs> which means that it can be multiple things happening at the same time right um, it can be stress is stressing me out work is stressing me out there's stuff going on with my family there's stuff going on with my friends I just don't have the mental energy to try to figure out which one of those have the greatest impact I just know it's something. And so I have to figure out how to decompress from that something. Um, I have several things that I do. I try to run because that's to me is my, I'm not a fast runner, but that kind of helps me to think through stuff. Um, I have pets. I really do believe pets are good de-stressors. I call my dog, which really that's not their real name, but I call them Prozac and Selexa sometimes, <laughs> um, but trust me, my dog name is not Prozac or Selexa. That's so funny. But um, I call them that um, because uh, one, I have a poodle, and I tend to—I really believe—he um, knows when I'm stressed, and so he forces me to hold him but see stress me. And then I have a mutt, a terrier mix, who forces me to play with him, which de-stress me. Um, so those are the two things I I write, I journal a lot, I walk, I believe that walking also is a, I believe moving your body is a way of you trying to figure out what's bubbling up. Um, I would say I do yoga, but I'm not really consistent at doing yoga. I would say I try to meditate, but I'm not really consistent at meditating. I do try.
0: The meditating part is funny because I think, because I I got into it for a while. I was trying to actually figure out how, like, proper ways to meditate. There's got, you know, I'm, athletics and the thing I've done, there's always a way, there's a plan, a way to do things. You Mm -hmm. learn and trying to figure out, like, the guided meditations are different ways. But then you sort of figure out the more you look at it that, Meditation can be in a form of petting your dog. Yeah. Because you're, you're like, you're so focused. Or like you said, the walking. Yeah. The walking part and being by yourself, walking, just, you just go out for a walk. You're forced to think in your own thoughts. And I think that's like the main point of the meditation. So it's, it's different for all people and how they get to that point.
1: Yeah, for me, I think I am not a sit-down-and-meditate type of a person. Um, I I think I do prescribe to the walking meditation. Um, And if I think about it, um, looking back at my childhood, I used to walk like hours and I And I didn't realize I was actually meditating while I was walking as a kid
0: (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) Um, because I was in my head. And that's why I like to run because when I run, I can actually get in my head. And so this is a true story. I went running with a friend of mine who was much faster than I was. Um, So I told her, go ahead, I'll meet you at the hotel. And I was so much in my head that I missed my turn to go to the hotel when I became aware of where I was, I was two miles away from my hotel. And I realized that running for me was a form of meditation because it actually, if you can just run and not actually realize where you are or where you're going until you just like, no, I wasn't here before. Um, I realized at that time I was actually meditating. and it took me like 30 minutes to get back to the hotel. So much so that my friend is about to call out a search party for me because I was so like delayed, and I told her, "Look, I just ran past the stop, and I because I was just thinking." She's like, "I would never run with you ever again." <laughs> but I think I think meditation does come in different forms, and you just have to figure out what form works for you. So I am a, a running, walking type of a meditator. My body has to be moving for me to like actually get my brain to be still
0: yeah and the, like but and to get into your own thoughts because it's something that's easy to do like you're just walking i can walk mm-hmm. i can walk and then you just like you kind of forget that you're walking you're just going like you said you forget like before you know it you're at this location you're like uh, what
1: yeah i'm not I... even tired why am i here yeah yeah so i just did that now i gotta go back yeah, that was the hard part, trying to figure out how to go back. I stopped a lot of people and how do you get to this hotel? And they're just like, you are far away from this hotel. Like, oh, well.
0: But I mean, so you teach the students how to help other people recognize this? Or do you, like, what do you actually teach them when it, when it comes to this sort of thing?
1: I teach them not to make preconceived assumptions. We all have our own bias, right? So and most of us most of the students I teach are going to the health field. And I and my soapbox, which I tell them up front, is that I my goal is to help you understand that when you treat people, whether you're OT, P T nurse, doctor, health educator, don't bring in your B your your preconceived biases. Don't look at the person and say oh, you don't want to make this change, get off your soapbox and try to figure out that there may be other issues that is taking precedent, um, much more precedent than trying to eat healthy. Um, people, um, coming to the the health field, coming to the hospital, coming to OTPT and, um, you know, you think, oh, they're not paying attention to me. It could be because you suck as a human being, <laughs> right? And if you suck as a human being, trust you and me, I'm not going to pay attention to what you're telling me. So you have to not be, have, don't sit so high on your horse and look down at people and talk down to people. People need to know that you care about them first and foremost, and if that means that you are actually looking at them and talking to them, that's important. Um, and you need to know that when people come into this narrow space called health care, you don't know where they're going back to. So you can't tell someone you need to eat more fruits and vegetables if there's no grocery store in their neighborhood. And the next grocery store is 45 minutes away. So now let's think about this. You are going to go to maybe a Kroger, maybe a Walmart. You're only going to go to a Kroger, Walmart once a month. What are you going to buy in that grocery store? Are you going to buy lettuce? No, you're really not going to buy a lot of lettuce. You may buy one bag, but you're not going, going to, to buy bad. four bags because it's not freeze. going to last. Yeah, you know, yeah. for four weeks. So you have to really understand. Don't tell someone. Go for a walk. Okay, there's no sidewalks. So where do you want me to walk? In the middle of the road? Or I live in a neighborhood that dogs roam free, which there are towns around here that there are free-range dogs, I've right? I've
0: been chased by many dogs around a bicycle. I have no full well. Yeah, so
1: <laughs> even in College Station Bryan, I mean, I on my way here, there was a dog who probably got loose from there yeah. and is you know, running the streets. So... We cannot assume, right, that people are, are not trying to make a conceited effort by looking at them. And you don't know what they're going back to. Are they taking care of an elderly person? Are they taking care of someone who's sick? Are they putting a lot of emotional energy in a child that have um, Alzheimer's, not Alzheimer's, autism? Are they taking care of a parent or a loved one that have Alzheimer's? That's a lot of emotional energy someone is dispelling every day, 24-7, that they may not have that energy to take care of them. So when I teach my class, I teach it in a way to get students to realize that it's not just about giving them information, which that is important, but also to realize that no one lives in a vacuum and people are may not be at their point in their life that they can take the education but don't look down on them if they don't because you just don't know what's going on in their lives
0: it's it's like an overall life lesson that's an overall life philosophy that you need to take with everything yes like whether you're a doctor whether you're a construction worker a carpenter whatever it is like not that not assuming or talking down to people or judging. Now, the, the thing I would ask you, like, so I, I really love what you said. I didn't want to jump ahead of what my next thought was, but that's the way I do things. Sometimes that's I okay. think it and I didn't say it yet. And so I'm like, what, what the hell? You skipped a step. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so the, you, let's go back here to what I, what I was talking about. So the, you're teaching this, this philosophy and, not to get on your soapbox, what is the reverse of that? Where people think they place other people on a pedestal. Like, so I would say you see if you're in the CrossFit world, it's gonna be the Matt Frasers and the Rich Phonings, or even at your local gym, you've got the people that are like, you see them, they're super yeah. fit. They've got all the muscles, all the right places. They crush every workout. Guys at the global gyms, you know, they're gigantic. You know, they it takes them a long process, but what the person just beginning looks at is that person is not. I'm not even in that realm, so I can't be around that person. Mm -hmm. You know, like they hold them up to a higher level than necessary than than they are. Yeah, like they're just regular human beings. Yeah, yeah. That, that did something. Like, they worked real hard, and they had discipline, and they made something out of it. But they're just regular. They feel the same exact things you feel yeah. when you're working out. Yeah. Or doing whatever it is.
1: Yeah. As I, so, I think... So, like know.
0: a doctor. Like, you know, like you as a health professional or, like, a doctor. He walks in. Automatically, that person is thinking they're talking down to them. They're expecting that because it's...
1: The hierarchy, right? Right. Yeah. So, I think... Um, it's, so it's, it's a two way street. So one of the ways that you can get rid of that hierarchy is that if you are someone that people hold in high esteem, you need to kind you need to be the role model in a way that says, "Um, let me just shorten this distance between us." Right. So me as the health profession. Needs to be able to go to my client, my patients, my participant, and um, not and lower that expectation. Like bring myself closer to them. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, and I may not, in all honesty, I, there there are going to be some differences, right? If I'm CrossFit, and I don't even know who the healthiest or <laughs> famous. <laughs>
0: That's awesome! I love that. I mean, because I'm I not
1: I'm not that that deep into CrossFit, so I don't know who's the best of the best. But um, that person will always be the best of the best, right? When when it comes to competition. But I'm not trying to compete against that person to make change. I'm just trying to compete against myself to make change, and so that's why I and and I feel like I don't. I see everyone as a, a person, because. Um, I, you you will definitely get done with this faster, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm okay with you being done 15 minutes before me, and I would take my whole 30 minutes. If you say, if I say, what's the range? And it's 15 to 30. Trust me, I'm going more towards the 30 than the 15. <laughs> and but I, but I, but I don't. Um, for me, I don't see that. I. I would go to you to say how can I be better, or how can I um, do this exercise in a much more efficient way? Because I know that some of that that extra fifteen minutes because I'm inefficient. You, as the expert, right, need to be willing to have that conversation with me to say this is how I can help and. I wasn't like this all the time. I came from this spot to this spot, and these are the steps it took for me to get to this level. I think if people have those honest conversation, then that can shorten that pedestal a little bit. There's always there will always be a pedestal. I don't think there would be.
0: You can't have, you can't not have it because I mean it, it's competition. It's yeah, natural. Yeah. It's just so like there everything be... in nature.
1: Yeah, won't we'll be there. Would be no equals, right? I would never get to that level. I'm not trying to, but we can definitely de- decrease the distance between the pedestal by this conversation going both ways, um, and me knowing that. Wow, you used to be three hundred pounds. That would just take that. That just took you off that pedestal right quick and hairy, right? And you, it took you three years to get to this level of expertise. Wow, okay, it may take me 10, but that's okay. I'm, that means I'm, I may be able to get there if I do these things, right? Um, and so I think those types of conversation can shorten that pedestal and expertise. What I try to do, because I, I do what I call community-based research, and so I really, my work, the work that gives me passion is that I actually go into the community and engage the community within my research. And so I know I'm not a native of Texas, so I'm a transplant. And so as soon as I open my mouth, people will be like, yeah, you're not a Texan. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, at, but at the same time, I also consider them to be experts, right? Because this is the place you, you live your whole life. You, you've been here 15, 20, 30 years. You have multiple generations. You know what's going on in the town. To me, you are the expert, and that's why I'm going to you. Not because I have the answers, um, all of the answers. You have answers too, and I need to get that from you to be able to create better programs, a better research. And so to me, you are the expert for this area because I am clueless. I don't even know how to get to the closest grocery store if you don't tell me how to get there. Right. And so I think what I try to do is always lower my pedestal. Um, I do have expertise and that's it is what it is. But so that's the person, the everyday person who live in rural Calvert. They have expertise that I have no, you know, the history of this town that is not in the books. And so you can tell me exactly where I need to go to get X or Y or Z. Exactly who I need to talk to, um, exactly why they don't have a grocery store. Um, so my the people who I talk to in my research, they to me they are the experts for their town, and I go to them for their expertise.
0: And I think that works across the board with everything. Again, yeah. Like, and you, you saying it's a two way street is is really true. One, it's on the part of the person that like, but. People who've worked hard to get to some places, they don't see themselves in the same light a lot of times either. They see themselves just as a regular human. Like, I yeah. mean, I just, I won this. Yeah. But I mean, I'm working just as hard. Like I've put a lot of time into yeah, it and I'm, I'm still not as good as I can be or as good as I should be. They're humble. Yeah. In that sense. Most of them are. Most. Um, most that I've been around, you know, <laughs> there, there are the outliers, but I don't pay any attention to that. Yeah. Um, but so it's, it's difficult sometimes because you don't always realize somebody's putting you on that pedestal in the first place. Yeah. Because you're all you're looking at is inside you and what you can do better because you're competing with yourself. And then the other person has got you on that pedestal, maybe a little shy to ask you anything approach, but to break that barrier of like, hey, I'm just going to go up and ask him a, a question. And then this person answers in a way that makes him feel comfortable. And then it like opens the door for improvement and for that person to get healthier maybe not ever beat this person but like they get healthier they get better they improve they get what they want out of it and yeah. everybody's improved from sharing the knowledge of like this abundance thing everybody gets better yeah like yeah. everybody gets better from it but like, it's just breaking that barrier and it takes both people's mindset
1: to be able to do it yeah right and yeah i think that's important um I, I, and it's hard right because when you focus on trying to improve yourself um, you f- sometimes you can forget where you come from like how far you have come because you still focus on trying to get better and um, that um, when someone's like oh you you this good it's like no 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 I'm not that good I just but you know you have to say yeah I am that good sometimes that is- <laughs> That
0: aging part's where the mental thing gets in, you know? Or, like, if you stop doing something. So, like, I rollerbladed forever. Like, it was my passion in life. It's what I did. Um, And I I eat, sleep, breathe. Girls didn't matter. Nothing mattered to me. It was just that. Like, extreme sports are the only thing that mattered to me, and that's it. I, I thought about it all the time. Everything else just got in the way of it, you know? Anything else in life. And then I stopped for... 18 years, I don't do it, nothing, you know, don't have any of it, and then one day just pick it up again, I'm not going to be at the level that I was 18 years ago, Mm -hmm. I can still do, even muscle memory, I can still do a lot of things, but I have to be in the mindset to accept that, Like, and sometimes that's frustrating, because I'm like, I really want to do this because it's a lot of fun, Yeah, and I can't understand why I'm not doing it, it's like, well, because you're not in practice, homie. Like,
1: and, and you're 18 years older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so the other I mean, part. Yeah, and
0: when you get older, you can't do a lot of the same things. You have to change it. To you can have the same amount of fun as long as you just change it. But that's a difficult part of reality. That like, yeah, I got older. I 18 years removed. I haven't done it, and I need to do. Like, I need to start. Just enjoy this step or don't do this at all. Like, yeah, There's no point in doing it if I'm not going to enjoy it. So I can either give it up or I can just, you know, go with it and have fun and be around the thing that I love all the time. You know, it's like either way, but that I, I love how all the things you teach tie together.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, so there's a, a a woman who's 102 years old. Her name is Ida. I think it's Kinley. I can't remember the last name. But she's like what they call the fastest um, sprinter, Um, and I'm putting quotation fastest (laughs) because um, her sprint time is like a minute and change, right? for For the hundred meters, which is slow, right, by Hussein Bolt, you know, standards. But she's the fastest, oldest. Sprint runner for her age. For her age, 100, but she's 102. She still runs at 102. Now, her run may be more like a walk for others, but she's 102, and so I'm like, that blows my mind that someone who, number one, is that healthy that they still runs, even though it's 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 not a fast run, but it's a run, run, and and she is the fastest. And her age division. And I think when you consider this whole aging process, it's not necessarily being the fastest, like when being as fast as you were when you were in your 20s, right? Or in your teens. But it's this notion of still moving and, and going. And part of my aging class, I show pictures of a marathon runner who was 101, or um, there was a ma- another marathon runner who was like um, 100 years old, and he died when he was 102, but he ran the marathon when he was 101. So these are like, you know, and, and in society we can say, Oh, that's so cute. I don't think they like that. <laughs> um, and I personally wouldn't like that either. But I think it's important to realize that if you do what you want to do, it doesn't matter how fast you are. It's just the fact that you're doing it. And to be grateful that you can actually still do it when you're old. My goal in life is that if I continue to run half marathons, at some point I am going to get a a prize. Because I will be (laughs) the oldest person doing it at that time. I may not be the fastest. (laughs) But at some point I am going to get a medal because I'm going to get it within, I mean, you know.
0: Within your age group.
1: My age group, people are going to eventually die out or stop running at some point <laughs> oh. in their lives. So my goal is just to continue oh. to run so that I can get a medal for my age group. I don't care how long it's going to take me.
0: That's awesome. Well, this has been a blast, Siobhan. Thank you. it been a blast too. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like we just touched the surface. This is, this is amazing. No, I this is it. awesome. Yeah, so thank you for being on. Thank I really you appreciate for inviting it. me. Thank you so much to everybody who tuned into the very first episode in 2020. Thank you, Siobhan, for being on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. Check out the sponsors, Laura Lee Smith, if you're looking to buy or sell a home in the Bryan College Station, Texas area. C5 Mobile RV Repair on Facebook. Head on over there and like their page and let them know you heard about them from us. The website, 95adventures.com, for all of your coffee needs. And... Like, rate, review, share, and repost on social media the episodes that you enjoy most, like this one. That all being said, I hope everybody has a wonderful 2020, and until the next episode, see you later.